Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for October 25th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jacks Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Giving Your Inheritance to New Daughters. My seminary preaching professor said that every good story deserved to find its way into one sermon. Just one sermon. Find the sermon, he said, and park the illustration there and then forget it. But you know, I think some stories deserve to be told more than once. So I want to remind you again of an experience that Amy has shared with you in one of her sermons about a visit she made to India over 20 years ago. She was on a long, long five-week exchange with Rotary International. Members of her delegation traveled beyond the main tourist destinations of that country of one billion people and were welcomed as guests into the homes of Rotarian participants there, living in cities and smaller towns in the northern state of India. The experience was eye-opening and sometimes gut-wrenching for a 25-year-old small-town girl from South Carolina who at the time had not traveled outside the United States and who still cannot eat curry and jala bread. Amy took one jar of peanut butter and one box of vanilla wafers with her and five and a half weeks later, she ate the last vanilla wafer on the airplane from Atlanta, Georgia to Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. It was a long five and a half weeks. As a minister, Amy was particularly interested in religious and ethical issues, and she was immersed into Indian Hinduism throughout her travels in one home, as had been the case in others, she was shown a presentation of the family's gods, their personal gods, a series of small figurines displayed on a table in the dining room. They were exhibited there much as Christian families display a creche in the Christmas season. On this particular night, the evening air was cool, and as Amy was escorted to her bedroom, she was shown the display again the family members now taking pride in the small wraps that had been placed around the shoulders of all the gods. This winter clothing gave protection from the chill air. Now if that contrast from her American home and Christian environment was not enough, Amy noticed just a few feet away from the gods enjoying their warm night's sleep, the young boy who served as the family servant curled up on the marble floor with no pillow and no blanket. Foolish idolatry. Can you imagine wrapping up some little stone statues to keep them warm while a child lies shivering in the very same cold night air? We good Americans schooled in the virtues of Christian orthodoxy have been gratefully enlightened beyond such silly, abusive hypocrisy. We would never do such a thing. We would spend hundreds of dollars putting the newest Nike tennis shoes on our children's feet while some of their classmates spend their nights in a car 
and endure the shame of eating free lunch and taking home a snack bag, which will be all they have to eat between Friday's school bell and Monday morning's free breakfast. But that's not idolatry. We would spend thousands of dollars a year to send our kids to private schools while some of the kids just down the street languish in failing public schools, starved of resources, parent support, and teacher talent. But that's not idolatry. We would enjoy the benefits of an economic system that values the hard work of those who have while other parents are beaten down by their failures to thrive under that same so-called freedom. But that's not idolatry, is it? Or maybe it's just more convenient to point a finger at someone else's hypocrisy than to shine a light on our own. Maybe the self-righteousness, the pride of accomplishment just feels too good to examine carefully when it is wrapped in our own justifications viewed from within our own little self-absorbed worlds. Maybe it's just easier to criticize someone else's religion. It's obviously easier to sleep at night when we convince ourselves that the little boy who is shriveled up in the cold night air or the little girl who's trying to sleep through her hunger pains is someone else's child. But there's no such thing as other people's children. I could spend the rest of this sermon quoting for you statistics, bemoaning the condition of American education in general, the public school system in Charlotte in specific. I won't do that. But it is worth noting that while we live in one of the most affluent communities anywhere in the United States, over half of the students in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools qualified for lunch subsidies last year. Over half of our students live in poverty. Over half of our children live in poverty. There are 157 public schools in CMS, and last year, 61 of those schools had poverty levels of 75% or greater. And in 14 schools, the poverty rate was beyond 90%. We would not tolerate this for our children. And there's no such thing as other people's children. Studies have shown that statistics from that excuse me studies have shown that students from all races learn better in diverse environments but a 1997 lawsuit against Charlotte Mecklenburg schools eventually ended the mandatory busing which had begun in 1970 a largely successful effort to integrate our public schools but the busing mandate was overturned, and since 2002, our public schools have become racially divided at pre-1970s levels. In about 10 years, we have returned to the 1960s. Most of the racially segregated schools are failing academically because of the segregation, the isolation. 
we would not tolerate this for our children. And there's no such thing as other people's children. In Sedgefield Elementary School, the closest school to Park Road Baptist Church, more than 70%, more than 70% of third grade students read below grade level. More than 70%. The number across Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools is like 60%. In the whole school district, 60% of our children cannot read at a third grade level when they are in the third grade. How can this be? I'm sure that all of you have heard the metric that Amy quoted years ago in a sermon that prison construction in this state is being determined by the reading level of third graders. 70% of students at Sedgefield Elementary School are on a path to prison. Because if you cannot read by third, a third grade reading level by that time, there's a strong probability that you will spend some portion of your adult life behind bars. Obviously, we are more willing to build prisons than fund public school education, even though studies show it is far, far cheaper to educate than to incarcerate. We would not tolerate the incarceration of so many young white males, our children. And there's no such thing as other people's children. Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis once said, once said, if you bungle raising your own children, I don't think whatever else you do well matters very much. I think it's time for Americans to confess that we are bungling the raising of far too many of our children. In her book, Jesus' Family Values, Deidre Good attributes the popularity of the phrase family values to the 1992 presidential campaign. Since then, there has been no end to all the airtime devoted to the need for so-called family values and the airtime to decrying the loss of such values from our culture. But who was Jesus' family? And what were the values he taught for his family? It is tragic how many people want to jump on the family values bandwagon who have no understanding that there is no such thing as other people's children. They're all our children. We are in this together. This meaning life. We're in this together Look at the hand wringing and listen to the rhetoric of presidential politics these days about the state of the economy and the, the, the demise of the American dream. Now, I personally do not share this depressing pessimism of either our present situation or our future. But if you want to adopt that logic, you cannot do so without an understanding of the collective whole. The success of the wealthiest Americans is unprecedented. 
the last 30 years of American life has created wealth for a few that is unimaginable, if not downright sinful. But that success feeding the top has not made us safe or successful, has it? Our presidential politicians wouldn't be telling us we're a failure if the success of the top had made us a successful country. It doesn't work that way. But listen to the rhetoric. We have a few of the wealthiest people the world has ever, ever known, and we are going to hell in a handbasket. The same people believe both things. It doesn't work that way. Their success has got to be our success, our success or our failure is theirs. There is nothing more important than family and no greater challenge or responsibility in the world than raising children. But if we care so much for our own children that we cannot see the needs of others, then our understanding of family is clearly far too small, our vision of the world too narrow, our faith, well, it may be fair to say that we too are dressing up our idols just to keep them comfortable at night. In Job's sad story, Everything is taken away from him. He loses wealth and health, farm and family. His friends tell him his faith has failed. His fate is a punishment of God. But Job perseveres. And when his prosperity is restored, he has gained new vision. Loss will do that for you. Tragedy is an unfortunate but powerful teacher. In the end, Job gains more than he lost. Three new daughters are the most beautiful in all the land, and they gained an inheritance, which was unheard of for women in Job's day. The father's inheritance was for the oldest son. Daughter's welfare depended on the patronizing care of a husband or not. No daughter received a father's inheritance, but Job's did. I am afraid we have lost a generation of sons and daughters to a vision of prosperity that has favored a few at the expense of all, even the expense of those at the very top. Maybe history is giving us a new opportunity. Maybe God is calling our church to a new grand moment to be involved and invested in the lives of some of the least of these, of someone else's children who live in our neighborhood, who need our care, our love, our resources. Job was a better person because of what he learned. He is remembered not for his loss, but because he never lost faith and his renewed faith was expressed as a blessing to new children who did not deserve an inheritance. His vision 
and their inheritance can bless us all. An old rabbi once asked his pupils how they could tell if the night had turned to day. When does the night end and the day begin? Well, could it be, one student said, that when you can see an animal in the distance and you can tell whether it's a sheep or a dog, that's the, dis- the, the difference in night and day? No, said the rabbi. Another said, well, maybe it's when you can look in the distance and see a tree and you can tell whether it's a fig tree or a peach tree. No, said the rabbi. Then what is the difference? When is the night ended and the day begun, the student said, and the wise rabbi said, it is when you can look on the face of any person and see that it is your brother or sister. Because if you cannot see this, it is still night. There is no such thing as other people's children. May it be so. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.